All right, very good. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be with you guys. I always enjoy being here, especially when it is kind of summerish, which doesn't happen always here, but uh, I'm enjoying that. I had a good start today. We're talking on the Holy Spirit today, and I think we're probably all a bit aware of the Holy Spirit, pretty much. I'm seeing people that are older in your years, and so you're, you're older in, in knowing Christ. But often when we talk about Holy Spirit, we relate Holy Spirit to power when I believe we should be relating Holy Spirit to person. And so in uh, I'm 50 years old in Christ this year now and 69th year on or 68th year on planet Earth. And uh, I don't want to rush that too much. I almost added a year to it. And uh, but in my 50 years of knowing God, uh, the last few years have been very wonderful for me in knowing God in a very intimate and personal way and seeing God in a very powerful way. God is doing some really good things in the nations right now. Uh, it's interesting, you know, we've had the Jesus Revolution film. Has anybody has that gotten over here? Have you ever seen that? No. I, got, I went and watched it, and uh, I lived it. 50 years ago, and I watched it on the, the screen on an airplane here a couple weeks ago. And uh, they did a pretty accurate job of it. But it was, uh, you know, 50 years ago when in America, and I'm sure in the UK it was very similar, you had two to three people out of every five people had an encounter with God of some kind. And thousands of people just coming to Christ not in a church environment, but in a God environment, even on the street. And so when it looked like everything was really bad, like in America, we had r racial riots, we had a lot of turmoil, we had you know, the Vietnam War, we had protests of all kinds going on. When it looked like things were really dark and bad, there's this Jesus revolution happening at the same time and an encounter with Holy Spirit. And in that same time, there was also just a, a real experience of a baptism of Holy Spirit across the lines of denominations. And so even in everything from Catholic uh, to Baptist and everything in between, you had people being submerged in Holy Spirit and experiencing what we called the charismatic renewal in a time of the Jesus revolution. And so it was a time of really being aware of the presence of God. I believe that we are in a very similar time such as that. And so how do we cultivate knowing God? How do we cultivate our hunger for Holy Spirit and for, for knowing God? Uh, how do we position ourselves to know God in our lives? And so I think, you know, God wants us to know him in a very deep an intimate way. He wants us to know him personally. 2020 was a fantastic year for me. It was a terrible year for the world, a wonderful year for me. 2021 was a better year. 2022 is even a better year than that. And 2023 is a better year still. But it's because I've positioned myself to hunger to know God and to cultivate my relationship with God. Not my relationship with what he can do, but my relationship with who he is. So when we approach God as a power, 
Uh, we often miss God as a person. So let me explain that just a touch. Uh, we look to God sometimes as our Savior. Jesus, you're our Savior. And surely in desperate times, we know we need a Savior. And sometimes we even say, well, I'm glad it's getting bad in the world because people will cry out for a Savior. Maybe, because that's what people do in crisis, and, and that's, that's okay. Uh, I have many times in my life where I've needed a Savior, but if I look to God as my Savior, I can get distracted from knowing God as the person and fall in love with the Savior. He can save me. One is something he can do. The other is simply who he is. Who he is is not Savior. Savior is what he can do. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying in that. So we can say the same thing, knowing him as our healer or knowing him as our deliverer or knowing him as our provider or our protector, uh, knowing him in some attribute of his power is less than knowing him in his person. But knowing him as a person is going to require us also to know him in his power. So you can't say, well, I, I've decided to know him as his per, in his person because I, I think that's better than knowing him in his power, but you can't know him in his person without experiencing him as savior, as deliverer, as healer. Uh, I was just telling some people earlier, in March I was in Bulgaria and, and we just have an absolute amazing thing happening in Bulgaria right now. I've, I've been working there for 31 years now, but for the past 20 years I've really found my divine connection there and I've established three ministries, one in Plovdiv, one in Sofia, one in Blagovgrad. There's actually an apostolic guy there that's established those, but I've been like a spiritual father to him, helping in that process and really seeing the fruit of it. And in one of the meetings that we were at, I mean, people just experiencing the manifest presence of Holy Spirit, and there's a man on the floor, and he's doing this with his arm like this. Okay, now, you got to be careful that you don't read a book simply by its cover. Okay, this guy's doing this with his arm. He's just going crazy with his arm. And I'm thinking, do I need to cast a demon out? Even in a time when it was the most intimate moment, he's doing this with his arm like this on the floor. And I'm thinking, man, what is going on? And then I hear the full story. What's this full story is his arm was full of pins, metal pins, and he hadn't been able to move his arm. So in the middle of the meeting, Jesus healed his arm. So he's worshiping God like this. That's how he's worshiping God. He's moving his arm as fast as he can. I think we need more of the embarrassment of people who move their arms as fast as they can. That's the humility of being able to be like a little child, foolish, because of the love of God. And so that's what the man was doing. And so I, I'm seeing a lot of the presence of God there. So you can't have the presence of God without having the power of God. But if you seek only the power of God, you miss the intimate way of God very often. Um, without realizing it, we end up exchanging a relationship with God or a relationship with something he can do. Um, I've had over the years, I've pastored, you know, for 20 years, and I've been involved in full-time ministry for, I don't know, 30, what is it now, 35 years or so. And um, I've seen um, 
A lot of people have different perspectives. I've seen a lot of people physically healed. I've seen a, a lot of people uh, experience the power of God in that way. And I've seen people who are believing for healing but never saw the healing. And I've seen people who are believing for healing who didn't see the healing and then they abandoned God because they felt that God abandoned them. Okay? But I have to tell you, everybody that Jesus healed died. Which means everybody that Jesus healed got sick again. Because you die of something. Even old age is a sickness. <laughs> the good news is, in our heavenly realm, there isn't any old age. So don't die old. You can get physically old, but don't die old. Don't die dead. Don't die not alive. <laughs> Transition from one thing to the next thing, because it always leads to a greater glory in Christ. But um, I remember as a young man, uh, when I first started pastoring, uh, I was an associate pastor, and then I was a senior leader for 20 years. But I used to spend a lot of time fasting and praying. I, I would fast 10 days off two, fast another 10 off two, fast another 15 off three. I, I'd fast 21 days. I fasted a, probably more than I ate. And I had a lot of supernatural experiences, but I actually became addicted to power and I was missing the person. Okay, I knew God, but I didn't know him like I know him now. I, I wanted his supernatural power. Um, the opposite of that is sometimes we grow old in Christ and we know him as a, in his person in some way, but we lose our appetite for knowing him in his power. And so how do we remain hungry? How do we remain hungry or an intimate connection to him, but also hungry to see him move in a supernatural way? So God is not power. Power simply testifies of him, but uh, power uh, reveals him in, in a supernatural way. It, in the old, you know, sometimes we say, well, we're in the new covenant. That means we have supernatural things, finally. That's not true. We had supernatural things in the old covenant. Uh, people were healed in the old covenant. Now, what, what is old covenant and new covenant? Old Covenant is not a time in history. Old Covenant is a means of relationship with God. New Covenant is not a time in history. New Covenant is a means of relationship with God. Now, Jesus made it possible for everyone to have a New Covenant relationship with God. Before Jesus came, everybody was bound to an Old Covenant relationship with God. That wasn't God's choice. That was man's choice. Man said, I need to be smart. I need enough information of good and enough information of evil so that I can be my own boss. Live a good life, do good things, be a good person. We may not have been in the Garden of Eden, but we've thought like that. God never created human beings to be smart. That doesn't mean he didn't create us to have smart brains. He didn't create us to be wise in our own opinions. He didn't create us to be independent of him. We should use our brains, but our brains are not our source of life. They're simply a tool that serves us in our relationship with God. 
Okay. So he created us to have a connection with him. He wanted us to eat of the tree of life and every tree that gives life. And he wanted us to be people who give life to our world. But when we chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we created a family line that is based on information. Inform me, inform me, inform me. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to act. And then we even begin to read our Bibles like that. Now, in the Old Covenant, that's how you would read the, the, the Tanuk or the Torah. The first five books of our Bible are all of the Tanuk, all of the Old Testament. You would read it in a way, tell me what to do, tell me how to act, tell me what to do, tell me how to act. But when God inspired it to be written, it wasn't about tell me what to do, tell me how to act, tell me what to do, tell me how to act. It was about this is what God's character is. This is what God's nature is. This is what God's power is. This is who you're meant to be. But you couldn't understand it until God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood and actually became the book in human form. He became a human being that never ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He became a human being who was always empowered by Holy Spirit. Always empowered by Holy Spirit. Now you're going to catch me. Uh, you might want to try to uh, correct me in my vernacular because sometimes it seems like I leave out the word the when I'm talking about Holy Spirit. And in Scripture, we'll obviously, the Holy Spirit, I purposely leave the word the out as often as I can remember to because I'm always reminding myself that he's not a the, he's a person. So you'll hear me say Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit. Just like I say Jesus, I don't say the Jesus. And I say our Father, I don't say merely the Father. He's my Father. He's our Father. He is the father, but what? The, the father of dogs? No, he, he, he's the father of all men. He's the father of all women. He's, he's our, our heavenly father. So Holy Spirit is the spirit of God that, that empowers us to be alive. Okay? Now, God is, he's, he's a trinity. There's nowhere in the Bible where you find the word Trinity, but you can't find any place where it talks about God and not see God as a Father, as an expression of the Father, Word, Son, or as the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit. There's nowhere where you can find one without, you can't find one without finding the other two. Even in the very beginning, the earth was formless, void, and dark. And so what do you see? Well, the Spirit is hovering over the deep. Holy Spirit is hovering over what needs life. If you've got anything in your life that's formless, anything in your life that's void, anything in your life that's dark, I promise you, Holy Spirit is there right now and hovering because God wants to bring order. He wants to bring fullness. He wants to bring light. We may not have been in the beginning, but every one of us needs a beginning. <laughs> and we constantly need new beginnings. So we are constantly in need of Holy Spirit, God in his Trinity. We're in need of Holy Spirit to precede God's word. God speaks, life happens. But before God speaks, God is there in his spirit 
to create an atmosphere where his words create something of substance in our world when he speaks. I shut that off when I did that, I think. <laughs> did I turn it totally off? What did I do? It's, it should, it's glowing orange? It's, no. Help me, Esther. I got it. I did it. I did it. Got it. I got, I got carried away. I, I did the little creation thing with my hand and I turned the microphone off, but it's okay. So, so and the, but then God, the Father, is there because it's the Father who sees the, the future. It's the Father who gives us identity. It's the Father who has the ultimate work. He has the ultimate plan. But it's the Word of God, the expression of the Father, that makes that happen. God speaks, life happens. Okay. Nothing, since God created the earth and he made man, uh, he made man by speaking to himself. Genesis chapter 1, after he laid in order the, the days of creation, whatever that looks like scientifically, I don't care what it looks like scientifically. Uh, and I don't care if scientifically it even tries to appear differently than my book says covenantally. My book is not about science. My book is about covenantal relationship. But science simply testifies of the covenantal relationship. Science doesn't say it in a covenantal way. Science says it in a I don't understand it way. Okay. So is the earth young? Is the earth old? I don't really care. I just know that my beginning is always young and my beginning is always because he is ancient and old. I, I have scripture that eludes something before Genesis 1. Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 4, verse 25 or 26. The prophet is, is speaking from the realm of eternity and he says, I looked and I beheld and the earth was formless, void and dark. And all the birds of the air had fled and there was no man. Because God had destroyed the communities. That's paraphrasing, but that's the essence of what it says. So, and, and, and then what is that about? That's simply the prophet is speaking from the realm of eternity and he sees something that's beyond his measure to understand. And he's not saying these words so that the Israelites will understand what he's saying. He's simply telling them, listen, listen, listen. God's dealt with stuff before. Listen, listen, listen. The earth, I, I looked, I saw in the spirit, the earth was formless, void and dark. All the birds of the air had fled. Spiritual beings had left their proper position. <laughs> and, and there was no man. And because God had destroyed the, the community. So, so it seems like there was something before. But it's simply, he said it to say, God sees beyond what we see, and what he sees is none of your business. So you say, well, what is that about, the pre-Adamic creation? It's none of my business. Why is it none of my business? Because my business always relates to intimacy and relationship with God. It doesn't relate to mere information. So I don't need to know that for my relationship with God. I just need to know that God is, is eternal. You understand your, your, the words of the Bible. I say this book, I'm pointing to an iPad because I have it in an iPad. But th this book, the scriptures, is inspired by the Holy Spirit to reveal what's in the heart of God. But it's written in, in terms of, of 
of covenant, of relationship. It's about relationship with God. It's not about facts. It's about relationship. So it's written in covenantal terms. It, it, it says it in wonderful ways that are experiential ways. Like the Lord is my shepherd. You know, why didn't he just say, well, the Lord takes care of me. No, it, 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 that's not powerful enough. If you were a shepherd, you would understand that phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. But most of us are not shepherds. We're bus drivers or accountants or, or lawyers or teachers or something else. We're not shepherds. But we might be. So, so, but God tries to communicate to us in ways that are experiential. That we feel it, that we know it, that he's real. He wants us to know he's real. So new covenant is where it's always new. It's always now, always in an intimate relationship with God. Old covenant is where you had to relate to God through information. So God is a trinity. He's revealed through three distinct persons. I'll make a statement on that. Without Jesus, we cannot fully know God as our father. Why? Jesus is the son of God. So you can't possibly know God as the Father without knowing God as the Son. Because only the Son sees who God really is. If you're not a son of God, then you get confused when you look at God because you, you define him as God. I know I've said this kind of thing here before, but, uh, you know, I'm a dad. My kids are all grown now. They're... My youngest just turned 36, so that means I'm, I'm getting older. My oldest is 44, uh, and I have grandchildren. I got one that's about to get a driver's license on a grandchild. This is crazy. But anyway, life goes on. <laughs> and uh, and in, in the, the world of, of family, what was I going to say about that? <laughs> got distracted by my grandkids. <laughs> that's what old people do. They get distracted by their grandkids, and then they can't remember what but, uh, um, okay, God is a son. Uh, I can't, if, when I was, a, my children were younger, I used to be a general contractor. I did construction, I did carpentry work. I did lots of different work. I was a general contractor. But my children would never get excited when I came home. Oh, great contractor. Oh, the great contractor is here. Oh, we love you, oh, carpenter, oh, worker of wood. Oh, you are so wonderful. No, they'd jump up in my lap and kiss me and say, Daddy, Daddy. Okay, they missed Dad. They didn't know me for what I did. They know, knew me for who I am. See, God can do God's stuff, but that's not who he is. That's what he does. Oh, great God. Oh, great creator of all things. Oh, we really love you. You know, that's not as powerful as Daddy. I love you so much. I don't want to know what he does and miss who he is. And I can't know who he is without Jesus because Jesus is the son of God as a man. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So Jesus had a beginning. But God the word has no beginning. He is the beginning. So in human form, he had a beginning. In human form on this earth, he had an ending, which ended in a new beginning for a greater glory for us to have a guaranteed new and eternal beginning for a greater glory. Okay? But the word is eternal, so he's the word. But 
to, to, to know the expression of God, to know the expresser who is God, I can only know it through a relationship with the expression of God so that I can become an expression of God. I can become a son, a daughter of God. So I can't know the Father without knowing the Son. And I can't know the Father or the Son without knowing Holy Spirit because you can't come to God except for by the Spirit. So we have to embrace all. Now, we tend to look at God the Father. I think we're, we're very often okay there. We don't know what a Father is, but we at least theologically acknowledge, oh, God, our Father. We, we don't have a hindrance praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Get a little more religious, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. However we pray that, we, we have some concept of God as our Father. We have a concept of, oh, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are the Son of God. We acknowledge that you are fully God and you were fully man. I think we're okay there, at least in some measure. But when it comes to Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is the most present of God in our world. Holy Spirit is right here, right now. He's in this room, he's in us, and he wants us to be clothed in him. And Holy Spirit is not the Holy Spirit who comes from God, he is God who comes in the character, nature, way, power, and authority, the name of Jesus, who is sent to us by the Father. And Holy Spirit is the most ignored, the most rejected, the most misunderstood, the most belittled, and the most ignored of God. Yet he's the most present. So I'm, I'm, when we're talking about Holy Spirit, how do I grow in my hunger for God? How do I say I need you, God? It's an awareness of Holy Spirit, an awareness of who he is. Now, in the Old Testament, Holy Spirit was present with men, but seldom was Holy Spirit in men. Now, there were some exceptions. Why were there exceptions? Because the heart of the Father wanted new covenants so bad, sometimes the hunger of human beings caused there to be interventions where something of the new covenant was revealed in an old covenant time. Something of a, a, a cry, like David says, create in me a new heart, O God. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Okay? Now, David understood something that the common man did not understand. And how did David understand it? He understood it by being a bad man who encountered the mercy of the love of God. If David, the king of Israel, was in our neighborhood and applying to be pastor of our church, we would probably reject him simply because he set somebody up to be murdered he committed adultery, and he wasn't necessarily a good dad. By the criteria of King David and his household, we probably would have run him out of Clay Cross and said, you can't be pastor in this city because, number one, you had a, an adulterous affair. 
Number two, your family is out of order. Your children aren't walking with God. You had a child even betray you. Uh, number three, you also set a man up to be murdered by putting him up on the front line to cover up your sin. And number four, you're not doing what God said to do in the first place because he said that you're to go to Shiloh where the tabernacle of witnesses and you're to do things in proper order. And you went and took and put the Ark of the Covenant in a tent on a hill called Zion. And you said, and you have the audacity to have the undignified uh, testimony of dancing nearly naked before God with the Ark of the Covenant in a place that God did not say to put it. And now you're creating music there seven days a week, 24 hours a day and blasphemously reciting the word of God in a place that it shouldn't be spoken. <laughs> that would be the truth by the standards of if you hold on to what God said to do in one season and you worship that more than you worship God who said do it. See, God said create the tabernacle of, day of Moses, but then the people who were facilitating the tabernacle of Moses lost the presence of God. So the presence of God was taken, the box, the Ark of the Covenant was taken to the Philistines and nobody seemed to notice it for 20 years. <laughs> for 20 years, it would be like, Holy Spirit was absent from the church for 20 years and nobody seemed to care. But then one day somebody said, wait a minute, wait a minute, where's the presence of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit should have been in the tent of Moses, but it wasn't. And so David had an idea, well, let me build a different tent that anybody can get in. And God said, ooh, I like that idea. Of which it was David's idea, not God's. Because that's what God always wanted. He wanted a tent that you could find anywhere and everywhere that was made of human beings, human lives that God's manifest presence lived in. Now, David wasn't qualified to be who he was or do what he did by his natural abilities or his innocence of flesh. He was qualified by the mercy of God. He was qualified because God loved him. This morning, we're not qualified for the manifest presence of Holy Spirit by anything that we've done. We're not qualified to have God in clay cross by anything that we've done. Matter of fact, we've probably missed the mark a few times this week. We've probably sought some created thing to give us some form of identity in some way, and that's called idolatry, by the way. Anytime something that is created, we look to it as a love source or a life source. We say, I want to be created in that likeness and that image. It's only when we look to our Heavenly Father that we can be created in the likeness and image of who we really are. But we have moments when we forget. And God says, I got it. I, I understand you have moments. But I have eternity. So I'm not shaken by your moments. And I'm bringing the reality of who I am in eternity into your moments. My mercy huh, is new every morning. But my grace is available. And it can be found. So we want to find Holy Spirit. So 
to be spiritual people, we have to embrace God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Knowing Jesus the Son, we must embrace God as our Father. To know God our Father, we embrace knowing Jesus the Son. To know God the Son and God the Father, we embrace knowing Holy Spirit. And he's been sent by God to us, by our Father, in the name of Jesus, to reveal to us who God is and to reveal to us who we are. Who are we? You and I are sons and daughters of God. And what makes that possible is the Spirit of God. We must be born of the Spirit. Now, you and I are made of three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. We're different than any other creation on planet Earth. All of creation tells you something of God. But there's only one creation that can reveal the likeness and the image of God. That's you and I. Now, I have, we've just come into spring and kind of shooting into summer where I'm from. We had a really late, cold spring this year. Normally we have April, May, then we have January, which is a form of June that's very cold. And then on July 5th, we enter into summer where I live. But this year, we had, uh, we had March wary, April wary, May wary, and at the end of May, it kind of clicked into summer. And right now, we don't have January. We actually have some form of June. I'm anticipating we could have some January by the time I get back home, because that's what usually happens. So a little colder than usual. But in end of April, I went on a trip to uh, South Africa, Angola, Portugal. It's 24 days out. When I left home, it was like winter. It should have been spring, but it was winter. I hadn't had my garden fully planted, and I normally plant a lot of garden, but I hadn't planted everything. I, I took a risk and planted some things kind of prematurely because I knew I wasn't going to get back in time to plant. But when I left, I had some trees with some little buds on them, some trees with no buds on them, some trees with some small leaves on them, but there was no glorious green. When I came home, there was a lot of glorious green. I've noticed a lot of glorious green here since I've come yesterday. I arrived and there's glorious green. Now, I have a tree in my yard. It's a fig tree. It's a brown turkey fig. It's a kind of fig tree that uh, you can grow in my area. I live in the northern part of the U.S., but I live on the Pacific Ocean coast. So I can grow some things that shouldn't grow that far north, but they will because of the moderate temperatures. And if you treat a turkey, brown turkey fig, there's a couple of others, if you treat it rightly, because it produces two fig crops, you can get one fig harvest where I live. You won't get two because a fig tree is better in Spain <laughs> than it is where I live. But it will, will work. And so I have, a, I have a fig tree. I covered it in the winter and then spring I uncover it. But when I left, it looked like it was dead. And, and I'm thinking, I hope it's alive. And I went out and a rabbit had chewed on the bark. So I thought, oh, oh man, I've, I've got a war with rabbits. Rabbits are like another night with the frogs and feral. You know, would I go another night with the rabbits? Man, they, they eat my garden. But, but, but uh, my fig tree, I was worried about it not being alive. And uh, so my wife, every day, I would FaceTime her every day. And, and 
And she would say, honey, I'm a little concerned about your fig tree. I don't see anything on it. And I said, well, you know, it, it should kind of follow the grapevines. I said, when you see the grapevines wake up, then the figs should wake up. And so then I'm talking to her, you know, I'm 24 days on the road. So 24 days every day I FaceTime my wife. And, and she says, well, honey, you know, the grapes have put out some leaves, but I'm a little concerned about your, your fig tree. It doesn't, it doesn't have any leaves on it yet. Might be dead. I think, okay, well, I, I hope it's not dead. I hope, I hope it's alive. Okay. And then right toward the end of my 24 days out, now it's in May, middle of May, and my wife says, honey, there's a leaf on the fig tree. Well, I thought, oh, good. So by the time I get home, there's a lot of leaves on the fig tree. When I left now, the fig tree is covered with leaves and beginning to look hopeful for figs. Now, the fig tree is a creation that basically also has like three parts to it, like we are spirit, soul, body. Okay, and so I'm just going to relate this before we take break, and, and then we'll talk more of this. But, you know, I didn't, when I left home and my fig tree didn't look like it was alive, how do you make the fig tree hungry for life? How do you make the fig tree hungry for the spirit of a fig? I didn't put the book of figs out there. And the, I didn't put videos on figs or teachings on figs. Uh, matter of fact, I didn't even organize a seminar on figs for the fig tree. No, I made sure the fig tree was planted in the soil. I loosened the soil. I put some food in the soil. And I, I made sure that it had a good atmosphere of sunshine and some, some rain. If it wasn't raining, I would have created watering of some kind. Uh, I, I put timers on my sprinklers and then the waters the yard to make sure there's water. So I need to be planted. I need it to have the, the nutrients that a fig tree needs. I need it to have sunshine. I need to have rain. And if it's connected to that environment, something happens to the fig tree. Now, when you look at a tree whether it's a fig tree or any kind of tree, and it's in the winter season, in the season when you, you, don't, you don't know the full potential of a fig tree, but let's say you understand trees enough to know their shape, their texture, what they look like in some way. And so you look at the trunk of the tree, the limbs of the tree, and the branches of the tree, you can say, ooh, that's a fig tree, if you know something about figs. Or, oh, that's a, that's a hickory tree. That's a walnut tree. That's an apple tree. Now, all it has is a trunk, limbs, and branches. Oh, look, that's a pear tree. Oh, look, a plum tree. So you, can, you know the shape of the tree. There are many kinds of trees. And if you know trees, you know their kinds, you, you, identify them by, you can identify them by their shape. You are like that, and I am like that. We have a trunk, limbs, and branches, and you can say, if you looked at my trunk, my limbs, my branches, you would say, oh, that's, that's Ted. Oh, oh that's Jane. That, you know, oh, that's Esther. You say, oh, that's Stephen. You know? So you see, well, that's, that's, what the, that's what that tree looks like. It's got its trunk, its limbs, its branches. Okay? Now, that's your physical life. Now, your physical life is supposed to have a, a purpose. It, it brings life to your world. It brings figs. It brings uh, hickory nuts. It brings uh, 
Even an oak tree brings acorns and the deer get excited, you know. It's, it brings leaves, it brings shade, it brings healing properties from some leaves. It, it, it brings life to its world. But in order to do that, there's more to the tree than what you can just see in its trunk, its limbs, and its branches. So inside the tree, there's the core. Uh, and, and it goes all the way up the, the trunk, and it goes all the way out the limbs, all the way out the branches. If you cut the tree down, you see these annual rings, these growth rings in the tree. And uh, like I have a tree I used to visit frequently, that stump it used to be a tree, it's just a stump. It's, it lasted 740 years, 730 years, because I, I know I've, I've counted the rings. Okay? And I have to look at those rings and I say, whoa, those must have been some tough years. Because they would, look at how tight those rings are. They must have been really dry. There was drought. Oh, look at how fat they are. Boy, there must have been some floods that went on there. Oh, my. You're all charred right here. Did you see some forest fires? Oh, my goodness. An automobile or something crashed into you. That must have really hurt. See, that's the inner core of you. That's your soul. Now, your soul manifests with how you think, how you reason, how you imagine, what you desire. Uh, you know, how you, how you, you feel, your emotions, you, your inner core that affects your trunk and your limbs and your branches. There's an inner part of you. Your soul is not your brain. Your brain is a biological part that serves your soul. But your soul is, is the part of you that empowers your limbs to fulfill their purpose. Now, your soul can be affected by outside environment, droughts, floods, fires, traumatic experiences. Your soul gets wounded. It affects your thoughts. It affects your reasoning. It affects your emotions. It affects your imagination. It affects your desires. And so you become old. You get older in your expectations. You get less hungry in your desires because you've experienced some pain. You've experienced some seasons. And seasons wear against your soul. Matter of fact, the enemy does not war against your spirit. The enemy wars against your soul. External experiences, natural experiences, spiritual influence come against your soul to affect your thought, your reasoning, your imagination, your emotions, your desires. But there's something else in you. Like there's something else in my fig tree. Because what I was counting on in my fig tree was not its trunk or its limbs or its branches. And what I was counting on my fig tree was not what I could find if I cut it open to see, well, what experiences did it have? Oh, look, a rabbit chewed on it right here. It affected its soul, its inner core. No, I was counting on the roots of the fig tree being planted in the soil so that it could receive its sap. Is that a good English word? I don't know. What do you, is it, you call it sap? Okay, we're okay here. We've got to be careful what culture I'm in. Sap's an okay word here. Okay, so it's like the spirit of the tree. Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah 17, says, those who do not trust in God are like a bush in the wilderness. And it just dries up and blows away. In America, we have these tumbleweeds in the southern part of America. Classic case of not trusting in God. You trust in your natural environment only. You end up being short-rooted, short-sighted, and you blow away with the wind. 
But if you trust in God, if you have an intimate relationship with God, a relationship where you depend on him, you die without him, I just need you, God. Then you're like a tree planted by a river. And what happens is you bring forth fruit, you bring forth blessing. See, the sap comes into the tree. And when the sap comes into the tree, it goes through the trunk, through the limbs and out the branches. And then there you see the fruit of the sap, fruit on the tree. You see the charisma of the tree, the power of the tree. The tree begins to bring life to its world. I'm excited. My apple trees are loaded with apples, little tiny baby apples everywhere on my apple trees. My pear tree, ooh, they're looking gorgeous this year. Baby pears everywhere. And, you know, and those pears are not going to be for the tree. They're going to be because of the tree. So there's all kinds of, my goodness, I go out in my garden right now and I see words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, miracles, faith, healings. I see discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. I see all kinds of charisma. I see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, self-control. I see fruit. I see power. I see all these things coming off of my trees because the trees are planted in the environment of where a tree came from. Okay? Now we're going to take a break here, but what I'm presenting to you, the secret to our relationship with Holy Spirit is knowing who he is. He is the power root source for our sap. Now our sap is not Holy Spirit. Our sap is human spirit, but only when the Human spirit is planted in Holy Spirit. Can the human spirit become holy? You cannot be holy by abstaining from the world. You can be empty. You can be dead. The only thing that makes you holy is by indulging in Holy Spirit. Joining your spirit to Holy Spirit will sanctify your spirit, which will then sanctify your soul, which will then sanctify your life. But abstaining from the world won't make you holy. It'll make you religious. It'll make you dead. You'll end up in a monastery on some mountaintop that no one ever goes to. It's being joined to Holy Spirit seven days a week, 24 hours a day, that makes you holy. My good friend, Pastor Vesey, She's in, in Plovdiv, Bulgaria. She says, whenever I say Holy Spirit, I hear Spirit of Holiness. So the Spirit of Holiness is what makes us holy, not the Spirit of Religiousness, the Spirit of Holiness. We're going to take a break there, and then we'll come back in a bit and continue.